0: Shaking cats and kittens. I'm Rob Lee from Getting to the Truth in Art. and this podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Bazaar. Bazaar is a gift shop for those seeking the strange and unusual. Got morbid curiosity? Got an interest in natural history? Bazaar's got you covered. Bazaar specializes in antique medical equipment, jewelry, prints, funerary antiques, and many other morbid gifts. The inventory is ever changing. I'm wearing a great death's head moth pin and I'm enjoying this hand-poured candle called Overgrown Cemetery. It's great. It has the studio smelling awesome. Head on over to 3534 Chestnut Avenue in Baltimore, Sinanham, the neighborhood, and see what they got to offer at Bazaar. Tell them Rob Lee sent you.
1: care what people think but enough is enough and if in the end it helps some other people out well then that's fine too I consider myself normal whatever that means some people call me a freak I hate that word I don't believe in it better yet I don't believe in labels but what are you gonna do in my experiences I found two types of men the decent ones I know it sounds corny but if I didn't follow you I might not ever see you again <laughs> you're right that does sound corny and the dogs I've never seen anybody like to look at themselves more than you do don't you ever get tired never happen baby no. what no. What? No. what just let me smell it it seems that men are taught not to be in touch with themselves with their true feelings but the things that they do say I'm everything that you need you are tripping one day you're
0: gonna wake up in this bed and I'm gonna be long gone.
1: You know when I woke up this morning I had to still have to slice you. You can't ex me first, I exed you. You never did have enough dry or ambition for me. It's about control, my body, my mind. Who's gonna own it, them or me? I am not a one-man woman. Tube socks, tube socks, fight out. 35 fight 35 Three fight dollars Hi, I'm Spike Lee. Well, I'm not directing, I do this. It pays the rent, puts food on the table, butter on my whole wheat bread. Anyway, I had this new comedy coming out. It's a very funny film. She's got to have it. Check this out. Nola was something special. She had this amazing effect that meant. Please, baby, please, baby, please, baby, 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 please. Good night. Good night? Wait, wait, wait a minute. Is Jamie there? I was the best thing that ever happened to Nola, darling. Ask her, she'll tell you that herself. Why she worshipped me? I've never seen anybody who liked to look at themselves more than you do. Don't you ever get tired? Never happened, baby. <laughs> stop, stop, Nola, stop, stop. <laughs> Nola knew what she wanted. And she's got to have it. Nola Darling would never marry a non-modeling, non-weightlifting, pseudo-black man like yourself. You know, Nola, you have done me wrong. Please, baby, please, baby, please, baby, 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 please. You no, know, Jamie, you're okay. You know, I've been thinking. I'm gonna hook you up. With Nola, you get four days. I'll get three. It's mighty black of you. Did I get the weekend, though? You're bugging out, right? You're gonna, go. you're gonna go, you're gonna go, you're gonna go, you're gonna go. If you don't, I'll still be here on this corner. Tube socks, tube socks, three fight out, three fight out. Two socks, three
2: fight out. Fight out, fight out, fight out.
0: business this is rob lee from uh, mtr podcast and we're here i'm here with with kumari my, the girl face ku welcome uh this is a new episode of uh let's watch it again and we're reviewing she's gotta have it so welcome to the welcome to the pod ku. welcome back
2: thank you happy to be here
0: you always say that i don't i don't agree i don't think you are no okay.
2: <laughs> i would never lie about something like that
0: that's true so this movie, we're, we're going to get this out there because, one, I want to have it out there for um, your Born Day and Spike Lee's Born Day, which consequently are the same day. And this is uh, Spike Lee's uh, future debut, right?
2: Born Day. Is that like I'm European? Black. I'm being black. Oh, it's the opposite of European. Yes. Um, okay.
0: In the hotel barbershops I used to go and say, you'll Born Day, brother.
2: I had no idea.
0: Grand Rising, beloved.
2: Learn something new every day.
0: And then he hand me my kufi. And I'm like, "Brother, I got to get my hair cut." Cuz you know, <laughs> you, you can't you got to say brother in there.
2: Well, yeah, so you won't need the haircut if you just wear the kufi. I'll
0: just wear the unit. That'll be my kufi.
2: No. We're not going to talk about that.
0: So, but to be to be exact, this is his uh, debut uh, feature. So, um, She's Gotta Have It is a 1986 American black and white comedy drama written, produced, edited, and directed, and catered, some say, uh, by Spike Lee, <laughs> uh, filmed on a small budget in Lee's first uh, feature-length film. It earned positive reviews and launched Lee's career. Um, the plot concerns a young woman um, played by Tracy Camelia uh, Johns, who is uh, seeing three men and um, the feelings of these arrangements, what the feelings are that, are that come from these arrangements. The story of Nola Darling's uh, simultaneous sexual relationships with three different men is told by her and her partners and other friends. All three uh, men wanted her to commit solely to them. Uh, Nola resists the notion of being owned by a single partner. Uh, 2007, it was adapted into a Netflix series. And this movie was originally released um, August 8th, 1986, on a budget of less than $180,000. Wow. Um, Frugal. Yes. And it made um, $7.1 Not bad. Good return. Uh, it was released on the same month as... Uh, multiple movies that we know and have seen and may be talking about on this particular podcast. Let's hear it. So it was released in the same month as Transformers, the movie, 1986. Okay. When Optimus Prime dies. Sorry. Spoiler Uh, alert. (laughs) uh, The Fly. Yes. This is not a good one. Howard the Duck.
2: Epically bad.
0: Manhunter. Okay. And one of your favorite kind of people in terms of his uh, properties, uh... Uh, Stand By Me came out this month as well. Wow. That's a lot for one month. Yes. Now, the actors in this movie, obviously, there are three main people and some other kind of people that will later be uh, mainstays and in, um, in Spike's um, features in the future. Mm-hmm. We have um, the uh, aforementioned um, Tracy Camilla Jones. Uh, I mean, John, rather, uh, who played Nola Darling. Uh, we have Tommy Ridman Hicks, who played...
2: Are you, you mean I'm that's tr- Jamie? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. See, I'm going to troll you this way. I was like, oh no, are we going to have a quiz on the actors' names? You know, I already failed automatically.
0: John Canada Terrell.
2: That is Greer.
0: Yes. I mean, it's going to be easy now. And, um, and Spike Lee is playing who? <laughs> Mars Blackman. And Mars Blackman popped up in what uh, ad campaign during this time?
2: Uh, it had to be something with Nike.
0: It was Jordan. It okay. It was the, the Spizikes. Yes. And it must be the shoes. Is it the shoes? Must be the shoes. Uh, so the impact of this movie, and we we have some personal connections to it. Obviously, I believe.
2: Yes, I do. Well, you talk about yours
0: first. So. Um Let's see. Uh, the impact. Um, the New York Times wrote that this film ushered in, along with um, Jim Jammerish's, uh Stranger in Paradise, the American independent filmmaker movement of the 1980s. It was also a groundbreaking film for African-American filmmakers and a welcome change in, the term, in terms of representation of uh, blacks in American cinema, depicting men and women of color not as pimps, whores, but as intelligent, upscale urbanites. Um, the tagline for this movie. I don't remember it. What was it? A seriously sexy comedy.
2: Okay, that's fair.
0: So before we get into some trivia, let's let's talk about it a little bit, um, and then we'll have some trivia, and we'll have some some of our favorite scenes and things of that that nature. But let's let's get into our connection with this film. You can start off, please.
2: So this movie was like. It looks like a love letter. You know, it's it's filmed very lovingly with black and white photography of um, Brooklyn, specifically Fort Greene, which was Spike Lee's neighborhood. Um, the cinematographer is Ernest Dickerson? Yes. Ernest Dickerson? Yes. So they worked on many projects together and knew each other very well. And you can just see the beginnings of that relationship in terms of the cinematography in this movie. And so... The Brooklyn that you see in this film is pretty much the Brooklyn that my parents, uh, my mom, my stepmom, and my dad moved to Brooklyn to be a part of. This is why they went there, was to be a part of this community of artists and kind of bohemian lifestyle that was emerging at the time. So when this movie came out, it was really like, a validation of all of that, and not necessarily what people thought of when they think thought of the word Brooklyn. Um, so, this was like the new emerging Brooklyn, and it was really exciting to see that on film. It was also a very adult, grown up comedy, you know. Yeah it was not um you know this time you know what kind of comedy was going on um in movie theaters at this time and this film has like a lot of sophisticated dialogue Mm -hmm. it has uh, adult themes and so people were excited about independent film and the direction that it could be going in that this film helped to usher in so Everyone that my parents hung out with, everybody loved this movie. And then there's a special connection that we have because the score, film soundtrack, people, it was, people went crazy for it. Anyone who saw the movie was like, I have to get my hands on this. So I did not own a copy of the score to She's Gotta Have It, and I couldn't find it. It was out of print. So dear listeners, those of you who have no idea... How thoughtful and romantic your host Robert can be. This was actually the first present that he ever gave me was um, a vinyl a vinyl copy, not just any copy, but a vinyl copy of the score. Um, It was the first gift that he ever gave me, which, of course, I still have. And I brag about a lot because it's very hard to find, which is ridiculous. It should not be out of print.
0: In that, in that score is the this and I think Mo' Better Blues are like the first and the last time that Bill Lee, Spike's dad, did the scores for his films. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. and then uh, you actually
2: get to see Bill Lee in this movie.
0: Yes, he, yes, he's um, Nola's dad, right?
2: Yes, he plays Noel's dad, yeah. and then it's interesting Papa because Darling. <laughs> he plays because you see him playing the upright bass, and then you also see Spike Lee's sister Joie Lee playing the upright bass. Yeah, and so it's just like this whole music family connection that's like really cool.
0: Yeah, Spike is the black sheep here doing films and stuff. <laughs> right, I ain't here for this He's picture, like, picture shit.
2: I could see the like them being like, "You're gonna play an instrument," him being like, "I don't think
0: so." Yeah, the instrument's a camera.
2: Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I have my own ideas.
0: All right. Yeah. Um, that, that's, it's really cool to have you in. I think upon, um, you talking about how, uh, I guess how how much you enjoyed this movie and it gave me an impetus to look for the soundtrack for one, but also, and to get it on vinyl, obviously, but also to, um, to watch the movie. That's Part of my effort to try to connect with somebody, especially you, is if I've not seen a thing and it's something that you like or it matters to you, it's like, all right, let me watch this to have a better understanding to, in part, have those end jokes to kind of better get something and better get someone, but also just to kind of broaden one's, like, just understanding of, like, being cultured, I suppose. Because if it's like you just have, like growing up, the first thing I would have noticed about Spike Lee would have been do the right thing. Right. And, because when this movie came out, I was one. So You know, (laughs) it's just like, oh. (laughs) You
2: also wouldn't be seeing this as a kid. No, absolutely
0: not. (laughs) But I saw New Jack City at five, so let's just.
2: (laughs) Okay, well, fair.
0: But, uh, yeah, I mean, um, I think it's just, it it makes, you, you kind of fill in those holes, those gaps. So, like, you know during the pandemic i made a, a concerted effort to go back and look at move quote unquote black movies from the 90s Because they were made differently than they are now or even in the 2000s. And it's like, all right, let me kind of get this before when it felt a little bit more like countercultury movies. It's like they just give me y'all cameras and the writing, the acting and certain things resonated a little bit better. So diving back into something, seeing a director you know about and you've seen some of his work and kind of revere what he does in a certain way. It's like, let's see what you did initially. Let's see your first movie when you were more raw. And that's what I got out of it.
2: Well, watching movies that are important to someone that's important to you is, you know, it's a good way to to get to know them and get insight into them. One of the things that, one one of the legacies that my father left me was actually a list of films to watch. I still have not gotten through all of it, but one of the films on there was The Graduate. And after seeing it, I was thinking like, I don't understand why he likes this movie so much. I mean, I know it's a famous movie, but I didn't see the connection. The more that I thought about it, it definitely was like, okay, this is how people that were the same age that he was, like, starting out into adulthood, this is what they were thinking about. What am I going to do? Am I going to, you know, join a company and work and, you know, and have a pool and a family and invest in plastics or whatever people <laughs> were doing, you know, or kind of, like, forge my own path? So, yeah, it's a good way to get to know someone. And you know I have to reveal that you saw Amadeus also. Are we gonna do that? Are we gonna do Amadeus?
0: Uh, we could. Um, that is, <laughs> and it, it came out 37 years ago. Well, I yes. mean, because it literally was telling a story of what was going on in the office that we were all in, so. Well. But but yeah, I mean, in terms of watching the stuff, like my low-rent nature of movies, I'm like, yeah, you watch RoboCop yet?
2: <laughs> RoboCop is a great movie, and I did watch
0: it, by the way. You watch Ninja Turtles yet? Um, <laughs> watch Major Leagues? <laughs> Yeah, there's a list of movies you gotta watch. <laughs> I'm getting there. I'm getting there. So I'm going to give you some trivia um, about this film that you may or may not know.
2: Okay. I'm ready.
0: So usually this is a, an equivalent of like half-ass internet research. <laughs> um, it's, it's an unabashed ripoff. Uh, so this is per Wikipedia. I mean, i no, sorry. Per um, imdb.com. IMDb, okay. And so I like to look at just minutia. I like these, these other things It gives you more context. So the movie It was shot in 12 days. So because the budget was so tight, there were no retakes. So this is it. Yeah, and which means that this was rehearsed like a play, which comes through, I think.
2: It does, yeah. Yeah. This character enters here, this character crosses the room and says this, yeah.
0: Not a lot of superfluous nonsense, not a lot of, hey, let's just drive here. It's like, we're doing set pieces, we gotta get this in, I got tube socks to sell. (laughs) Because Spike Lee is selling (laughs) tube socks to help fund this, we'll talk about that later. Uh, whenever the cast broke for a meal Spike would tell them not to throw away Any aluminum cans So he could turn them in for recycling money
2: He was not playing around
0: An appearance uh, on um, Do You Think Who do you think you are Spike Lee Spike Lee said that he uh, Couldn't come up with um, A character A name for his character He called his maternal grandmother And she gave him the name Mars is actually the name of her grandfather Lee's great grandfather
2: I never heard about that
0: Interesting detail, right?
2: That is very interesting.
0: Like a black man named Mars. It wow. seems so hotel, doesn't it? <laughs> it really does. <laughs> In a... In a 2017 interview with NPR, uh, NPR's Fresh Air, Spike Lee said the uh, famous, please, baby, baby, please, baby, please, <laughs> was not in the script. Okay. Uh, Lee forgot his lines after please, baby. <laughs> he kept repeating it, and it played so well that he kept it in the movie.
2: great. Wow. no retakes.
0: Um, Spike reprised his role of Mars Blackman for Nike ads for Air Jordan alongside Michael Jordan began for um, my favorite Jordan, the Jordan 3.
2: Okay, I didn't know you had a favorite Jordan.
0: Yes. Uh, and the famous line, is it the shoes? Is it the shoes? Uh, this is Spike Lee's first feature film. He wrote, I mean, he directed, wrote, and produced uh, Joe's Bed Barbershop, We Cut Hair, Hids, in 1983, but didn't appear as an actor.
2: Okay. We Cut Hids. So was that his, like, student film?
0: I think so, because it's 83. Yeah, that okay. sounds about right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's see. uh, Martin Scorsese uh, tore Spike Lee um, film directing at NYU. Like Raging Bull in 1980, the movie was filmed entirely in black and white except for one color scene. Yes. What was the color scene?
2: It's the dance scene.
0: Says the the dancer. Uh, The film was originally rated X.
2: Okay. What happened that was rated X? Due
0: to the sexual content. Oh, wow. People were prudent because it was black sex. Okay. Uh, Received an R after he edited down some of the sex scenes. Spike just I looking never- at titties.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, well, nudity, I guess, I don't know. I don't know how that worked then, the difference between, like, nudity and simulated sex or explicit simulated sex. I, mean, I don't know.
0: mean, the amount of coke that they were doing in the 80s it was like, I don't care. Just put, put, a, put a saddle on I don't care. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, Entertainment Weekly included this film in one of the 50 greatest independent films in a 1997 special supplement that was only distribu- distributed to subscribers. Hmm. So it's getting that, like, the, the rub in that way. Okay. Uh, S. Epartha Merkerson's first feature film.
2: Oh, yeah. She is a doctor.
0: Mm-hmm. Spike Lee wanted to cast somebody as, uh, as, as uh, Greer Childs. Who? The actor thought the role was too shallow, and he wasn't eligible because he had just joined the Screen Actors Guild. Who was it? Eric LaSalle
2: well okay well okay so, so, so eric lasalle definitely definitely could have played that role because he's in that lane you know what yes. i mean he's in that lane i just like well you know there's so much that women can learn from me
0: well <laughs> the um opening quotation is from what 1937 novel by zora neale hurston
2: their eyes were watching god
0: there you go uh this movie was selected for preservation in the National Film Registry by the the Library of Congress, who deemed it culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant in 2019. This is after the series uh, came out in 2017. Um, included in the 100 1001 movies you watch must watch before you die, and it was edited by uh, Steven Schneider.
2: So that it was included in the National Registry after the series.
0: So yeah, it's it, premiered yeah. Hmm. Interesting. I think, it, I think going back to one of the things we'll talk about in a moment, of it, it got back into people started like, oh, this was a movie first? <laughs> right. I uh, thought Spike would do was doing a television show. <laughs> uh, it was included in the um, AFI's 2000 list of 500 movies nominated for the top 100 funniest uh, American movies.
2: That is a list of sublists. Yes. But hey, we'll take it.
0: And um, so this is the thing I want to do now. Okay. Let's rank the movies. We're gonna do what? Rank? We're gonna rank Spike Lee's movies.
2: What? I don't even think I'm qualified to do this.
0: Well, you're, you share a birthday <laughs> with him, so that right there qualifies. What qualified kind of you.
2: thing is that? You
0: share a birthday with someone. Okay, I'll, I'll say it differently. Okay. I'll name three movies that come to mind for Spike Lee.
2: And I'm gonna be honest about which ones I haven't seen, because that's kind I'm of. I'm only a- gonna
0: name three movies, though. And these are all movies you've seen.
2: Okay, all right.
0: So I'm, ma- I'm making it easier. Good, softball. No, I'm gonna make five. Though. It's gonna be five movies. What? Look, I, got, I can't. It's gotta be an odd number. Okay. Is that fair? It sounds fair. All right. um, So she's got to have it. So I'm going to give you the the movie and I want you to rank it from, in your opinion, most uh, best to worst or what have you, however you want to qualify it.
2: Okay. Well, I'm going to have to write them down then because I won't be able to remember all
0: of them. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we have School Days. Mm -hmm. She's got to have it. Mm -hmm. Do the Right Thing. Jungle Fever. Mm -hmm. And Malcolm X. I'm only going to give you those. Okay. Because, uh, you know, at at a certain point you have this lull period. And yeah. then you have this, hey, we like them now, period. Okay.
2: So you want me to rank these movies in order of preference for me.
0: Yes, and this is only a this is only a swath of 6 years by the way.
2: Okay. So I like Malcolm X better than Do the Right Thing. I know that that's not necessarily how everyone feels about it, but so and then I'm going to go. Wait, I'm going to do this so that I can put them in order. Hmm. Oh man, wait. Okay, this got harder.
0: <laughs>
2: okay, so you got
0: jungle. F- is in there too, but we're not gonna talk about that.
2: Jungle fever is number five for me.
0: Well, uh, <laughs> go ahead.
2: Um, there are so many things I like about this movie, but <laughs> when your favorite thing about the movie is actually the B plot, that's not good. <laughs> go ahead. Okay, number four, school days.
0: Okay. As an HBCU alum, you kind of have to have it in there. You're... I kind
2: of have to have it in there. And I don't dislike School Days. Um, it goes a bit far for me in terms of like archetype versus a real person.
0: Strong John Carl Esposito in it, though. Hmm? Strong John Carl Esposito in oh, it, But one of though. my
2: favorite performances by him. And also, to me, one of Spike Lee's more uh, boldly written characters in terms of someone who is, you know, he's not just, like, unlikable. Like, he is a sociopath. And that's really not the type of black man that Spike Lee usually writes. Mm-hmm. So, good for him on that.
0: And a young me is in it, too. Continue. Please. Yes, correct. For those who don't know, should probably.
2: be named Furious Styles in every movie, probably.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm always Lawrence Fishburne in every movie. It's a running so bit.
2: So, that puts... She's gotta have it at number three for me, but... You know, mm. it's it's mm. hard to put it there because it's like it's. I like it better than do the right thing, but I think that do the right thing is a slightly better movie. It is. So yes, she's got to have it at number three. Big
0: impact movie too. Do the
2: right thing at number two, and Malcolm X at
0: number one. I I think that that is. I agree with. I've never seen Juggle Fever, so that that's the thing. I would trade. Because i've seen mo better blues and i've seen jungle fever mm, okay. I, I would tr- i would trade probably Mobetta better blues in there um and, and and look at this run if you will you had an 86 she's gotta have it then in 88 school days 89 do the right thing 90 mo better blues 91 jungle fever 90 92 malcolm x that's the run right there in what six years six movies and just 87 it was just like yeah planning out school days a lot of music
2: he was on fire
0: yeah and minuscule budgets and always having to have that independent filmmaker kind of mindset i but i think your order is you you, giving it that reverence i i've not seen the full malcolm x i would probably put do the right thing ahead because i've seen that the most Mm -hmm. um and and it resonates and pops for me but i think upon i think that's a list that can always shift right um but in it jungle fever still probably at the bottom yeah it's just... And for me, Mobetta Blues is probably my number. School days is probably at the bottom for me. Mm-hmm. Um, Mo Battle Blues is probably up there at three. Um, but it's incomplete because I haven't seen Malcolm X, the whole full film of Malcolm X. Um, Malcolm X
2: and Do the Right Thing are movies that only Spike Lee could make. I don't think anyone else could really make those movies.
0: Now, real quick. I, I have to put these in there in terms of honorable mention. When when you think of other things that uh, Spike Lee has done, I've not seen Black Klansmen, but I've seen The Five Bloods. People okay. hate on The Five Bloods, and they're freaking weird. Uh, w- 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 is where we're at with the f- like The Five Bloods. That's like Black Klansmen, The Five Bloods. Those are the last two things he's done is this where you would think he would be at based on what we got from She's Gotta Have It? Speak on that a little bit. Where, where do you, would you think he'd be at as a filmmaker based on that being the the debut? In 35 years into his career, this is where he's at.
2: I think in terms of being successful,
1: mm-hmm.
2: it's what I would have expected. I would have expected more movies like She's Gotta Have It. And I think that there were people who felt that way. They saw that movie, the kind of aesthetic that it had. Mm-hmm. And I think people would have expected more of the same, certainly would hope that he would be able to have a bigger budget mm-hmm. and more resources. But in terms of kind of the quiet, intimate, emotionally daring, subtle, sometimes unsubtle, and we'll mm-hmm. get to that later. Um, yeah. But you know, there, there is some nuance there, there's some subtlety there. There are no villains in that movie. Mm-hmm. I think that people would have expected more of that, and we didn't really get it. And it's not—it's not—it's not a complaint or an indictment of his career overall, but when that is your debut, mm-hmm. I think people feel like, oh, okay, like this is what you know, this is what we're going to get out of this person. And he honestly never made another movie like it, and he certainly never wrote another woman like her.
0: That's very true. And uh, we'll we'll talk about that particular woman, the actress's career as a Brazil of where where it's at or have you or where it went uh I, i'll say this i agree with you one would have hoped one movie that i i like a lot that was probably 10 years after this right um have plenty you almost feel like have plenty yeah. should have been a spike lee movie
2: yeah it should have been because it was really it was it's almost like an answer movie it's like a call and response it's definitely as people say in conversation which she's got to have it mm-hmm. and really a Related perspective and then from a man's point of view
0: and friggin, uh, uh, Harper playing like a Greer type. Hey, how about I suck on your for a while? I was like, (laughs) excuse me.
2: Right. I don't even know what you're describing.
0: Um, so let's, let's talk about Tracy a little bit. Okay. What happened?
2: (laughs) I have (laughs) no idea. I mean, you see her in this film and there's, she's just, she's perfect in so many ways. I Mm -hmm. mean, she's obviously very beautiful, but she's also charming. She's like magnetic, She's mysterious um you see her in her scenes with each you know with each of her lovers, and mm. you see different sides of her, but it never feels fake and so you expect you expect something you expect to see this actress again, you expect to see her in you know these kind of you know to me she could have been like a I want to say almost a Tilda Swinton. And I mean that mm-hmm. in a way of like, I know Tilda Swinton has kind of like an otherworldly, you know, kind of vibe, but I just mean yeah. someone who's always interesting.
0: So, all right, let me, let me run down her thing real quick. And oh, uh, you mean her, her IMDb it's slim. Okay. <laughs> okay. It is 84 Jordan slim. It is not great. So, She's, uh, let's see, she was nominated for Best Female Lead um, for for the role Mm -hmm. in 1987's uh, Independent Spirit Awards. Mm -hmm. And she later appeared in Mo' Better Blues and New Jack City and had a guest role in Family Ties and the series of She's Gotta Have It. And this series on ABC called Snoops. Not good. 1989. Uh, So for a career that is marked as, because she's technically retired now, is marked from 1986. So She's Gotta Have It was her film debut. Through in 2017, there are seven credits.
2: I don't understand that at all. And not only do I not understand it, but it's like you expect there to be a story with it. Yeah. I mean, you hope that it wouldn't be like a sad story, you know, but you expect there to be some sort of story with it. Because even with somebody like Lisa Bonet,
0: mm-hmm. There's a story. I, don't,
2: I don't think that there was a story.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And I don't know that people were necessarily surprised there was something about her that always seemed like yeah i act but i have a lot of other concerns and interests in the world too and so but you know with this actress it's just like i just don't get it
0: um so jones returned to the role of nola darling in uh, spike lee's 2012 film uh, red hook summer this is where this is the equivalent of when a rapper has a really good album and it's like yeah part two <laughs> like Biggie would be still alive, life after death, death part too. It's like,
2: <laughs> Wait a minute, didn't we already do that? Ready
0: to die again. <laughs>
2: again, right. Ready to
0: die harder or whatever. <laughs> no, don't do it. Um, she was playing an older woman who became a Jehovah's Witness. She was mother, darling. And she also appeared in the um, Air Jordan advertisement with Spike Lee, with Michael Jordan in 1988. So that aforementioned commercial, she was in it. Uh, and she was in the music video for Tone Looks Wild Thing.
2: And then it's like her whole role in like New Jack City. I just can't. I don't. Uh, I don't know. She played I Un- Unica. I Unical? you're better than me to remember her character well, name. I just remember I her like dancing up on a screen. Like just I don't know.
0: Drugs. I don't. I don't know. Something is something odd is there that it's just no story.
2: It's something that we would know if the internet had existed, but yeah. since we didn't have that, we don't know.
0: Um, be- before we get into some of our favorite scenes, right? Mm-hmm. I want to talk about the tri- the poster. 'Cause that's the cover of the, the record, right? Yes. The jacket. Uh-huh. Um
2: Jamie's head.
0: Okay, <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's what I was gonna say. It was it is prominent. It's it's just like his whole head, everyone else's face, I see lips, I see noses, I see black people, I just see his forehead and eyebrows.
2: Well, I mean, let's not forget that Mars was just like he's a ten piece chicken McNugget head. So let's not forget that. And I feel like when they went to design the album cover art, somebody was thinking about that line and was just like, we just need to draw his forehead. And then like his eyes underneath of here.
0: Now, maybe that, yes, maybe that's also indicative of his character kind of like looking over shit like, "Mm mm-hmm, yeah judge a motherfucker Uh,
2: (laughs) can i ask when we're going to talk about the problematic aspects oh we're gonna
0: we're gonna get into that um right now actually um but real quick Mm -hmm. um i want to say this because i'll end up burying it at the end I i think to your point about um tracy she was much better than what you got in the show in terms of more well-rounded and the 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 show the 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 netflix adaptation of it pales in comparison to me because uh nola in this in the series isn't as likable for whatever reason maybe because it's a current adaptation or what have you it's supposed to be current day um and 30 years later at that point than what you got in the film like the the film was like oh these beats are still there and even more transgressive to be in like 1986. Right. I was like, I like her better. And arguably one could say like, in terms of the male gaze or what have you, I was like the current series, like, Oh, you got light eyes and you, you know, I'm blanking on the the actress's name. Um, but you got light eyes and you do this. Oh yeah. You're more attractive. No, I think this person's better.
2: It's true. Like it just, yeah. The, And in a way, though, it almost makes sense in terms of what we're talking about, in terms of, like, the way that culture has changed since then. I can see how a computer would spit out that actress as this person now, Mm -hmm. but she's not as appealing.
0: And that's the Wanda Wise, by the way, a local person. Oh, okay. And she's in the center of the cover for, she's taking up the Jamie Head position.
2: (laughs) Jamie's head position.
0: Uh, (laughs) That's what we should call it. Uh, so let's talk about the problematic thing. Let's get into it. So, um.
2: Right, well, there are two of them for me. There are two major, it. two major things.
0: What, what, what's your top? Because one of them is more prominent than the other, I think, right?
2: Yes. Because he's
0: had to speak on it. Yes. So spin it, please.
2: So the two things that you walk away from this movie with that just leave a bad taste in your mouth is the scene that one of the characters herself called a near rape. Mm-hmm in uh, an interaction between Nola Darling and Jamie, and the character of Opal. So oh, I forgot
0: all about Opal, yeah.
2: Opal's character in this film is like...
0: What's her name? Gilstrap, by the way. Right. Her last name is Gilstrap. Jockstrap? Or Strap-on.
2: Strap-on. Fuck! So here's the thing. In some ways... Opal is interesting because of the way that she presents herself. She is not a butch character. Sure. Um, She presents herself physically as being traditionally feminine, which is something that definitely could have been done a lot differently. And so she doesn't necessarily look like a stereotype or a caricature of a lesbian. Sure, yeah. But her behavior, however, well, she basically spends every moment on screen. She's like an opposite, like, Beckdell test failure. Like, she spends every moment on screen antagonizing Jamie, which is actually kind of funny. It's great. Um, And trying to seduce Nola and convince her to, you know, since you're having sex with everybody, you know, why not me?
0: Come on over to the other side. Yeah, come, to the,
2: come to the other side. Um, and you know, she physically invades her space all the time mm-hmm. and, you know, makes a lot of remarks and in a way I kind of get it because it's sort of like everyone is judging this character. Mm-hmm. So it's not just men, you yeah. know, Opal is judging her too.
0: And that's, and that's the thing that I think hits on when we talk about, cause if, if the way that it would be now would be really hand fisted, slut shaming. And he didn't have any that really in the adaptation.
2: Mm, okay. And
0: I think in showing it in that way, it's like everyone has something to say about this. Yeah. It's not just dude. It's like, no, they're going to have something to say about it. And in the adaptation, I feel like they didn't really hammer that in. It was just like, oh, it's freedom, septum rings or whatever.
2: Septum, septum ring freedom. So it's like, you know, basically with the exception of Nola's former roommate, and I don't remember her name, that's per, that's played by Joali. I don't remember what the character's name is. She goes Corinda. to visit her. Okay. And, you know, they have a couple of nice scenes together. I mean, she's, she has a real reason for why this lifestyle wasn't working for her. Just, like, every morning she gets up and there's, like, a strange guy in her bathroom and was like, I can't really deal with this. It's pretty great. So, but in the case of her prospective suitors, including yeah. Opal, everyone is just mad that they're not doing what they think that she should do. Yeah. So it's not so much, you know, that I think you should be, I think that you know, these men are bad for you. It's that you're not interested in being with me in the way that I want you to be. And that's consistent across all the characters. So I don't mind that part about Opal. It's just that, you know, as a character, as an actual person and doing your test of, is this a real person? Mm-hmm. I don't think she passes that test.
0: Right. It, it's, you're a, uh, what's, what's the word? When you're, you're directly there to uh, combat against all th- this three-headed monster of dicks
2: yeah you know, and but you're the foil, you're the foil, <laughs> yeah, you're a foil for these characters, and you know that doesn't really count as as being a real person and and also playing into that stereotype of like um lesbians as being cunning as being like you know uh always a predator, you yeah. know like i'm I'm always here waiting to you know to seduce you to my side, you know in a way that just seems unnecessarily write... villainous,
0: it's almost like trying to run like a dude a little bit, it's like because dudes are predators right it was like yeah let's give you these rhythms but put a dress on you good here you are
2: but you know what maybe we'll take it just for having that exchange with her and jamie when she's just like i like nursing nolan and he's like you want to be a nurse go to the hospital i mean (laughs) it's really great
0: i mean (laughs) before you get to the other one right okay there's it's only one thing from the series that I would have wanted and it was the, just the Prince segment that's the only thing I really wanted from the series and they tried to do like compare it comparing the dance things like the, the dance sequence for um, Nola's birthday mm-hmm. in the uh, the, 80, the 86 movie mm-hmm. in the Prince episode that whole the, the three the three dick painting thing or whatever <laughs> all of that that, both of those things together, that's just right there. Yeah, it's great. But I think there's an ass exploding scene in the series as well.
2: I don't want to think about that. Like, did someone
0: get like butt injections I or just, something? I can't.
2: I can't talk about it.
0: This is why. This, this is why it's like Spike. Can you just go through and say, let me wipe off a Spike Lee joint because that's prominent on the series, and it's like, no, ah. I can't. I can't talk about it. So the the more. Um, the, the bigger, I think the bigger one, and and I, you're right, that the Opal thing, that flew over my head, but no, you're right, that makes sense, and then going back and kind of re- re- looking back over it, and he tried to correct some of that in the series to that credit.
2: Yeah, I mean, that character is a person. Yes. Yeah.
0: But still, she sucks, but, um, <laughs> what? Because, I mean, what, what did, what did, what did uh, Greer say? Uh, nice burks, or whatever. <laughs> right. He fucking, would say that. Fucking great. I mean,
2: let's just say this right now to get it out of the way. Greer is equally hilarious in both the film yes. and
0: the series. Yes. And he did the color swap a little bit, too.
2: They did. Yeah,
0: it, it works. Uh, so um, let's see. What do we have in process swap? So the, the other the other problematic thing, I think uh, Spike has talked about it. Um, that's that one. He was like, yeah, I want to have that one back.
2: Yes. And I. so for people who haven't seen the movie or haven't seen it for a long time, basically you know the characters kind of reach their breaking point and the three main suitors really want nola to make some sort of decision to choose between them and they all have their theories about why she acts the way that she does which they you know spend some time on camera giving their own theories and um other than just you know people should be able to do what they want to do so you know um, Nola calls Jamie and asks him to come over late one night, and, you know, she does make it seem like something is quote-unquote wrong, and he's kind of pissed off about it because they haven't really been getting along that well, Right. and so he ends up um, leaving his apartment where he's in bed with someone else and goes <laughs> to, you know, goes to Nola's apartment, and it turns out that, you know, she's just kind of lonely, sad, horny combination of those things, and um you know she says make love to me and you know he's like you know well that's not what you want you want me to fuck you and then you know kind of roughly you know throws her on the bed and takes her panties down and you know it's definitely not like any of the other sex scenes in the film and like i mentioned earlier nola herself calls it a near rape when she and jamie regroup and, and discuss it later. And I think what I can really appreciate about the way that Spike Lee addressed this is that, first of all, he could have not addressed it. Yeah. He could have gotten away with not saying anything. And it's not like Netflix would have been like, this series canceled. Like, it just, I mean, because a lot of people really probably haven't even seen the film that right. watched the series. So he could have not said anything. He also could have said something like... Well, you know, times were different. Yeah. You know, when people default to that... You get away, You it. know, times were different. But, you know, what he did say was that he was immature. And what I like about that is that he acknowledges that these films are personal. And especially for someone... The way that he approaches his work, where he does write, direct, act, you can't separate yourself from a movie like that and be like, well, it was just a job, and I was just doing my job. You right. know, these were reflections of his personal... Psyche, and so to sit, look back on something like that and say, "Yes, I put this in the film. I take responsibility for it." And you know, I was immature, and you know, I I would not, if I had that to do over, if I was making that film now, that wouldn't be there. And you know, I wish more people addressed things like that in that way.
0: That's the uh, the cancel stopper, I think. <laughs> right? Um, yeah. If you get in front of it in a in a sort of like Eminem sort of way. Uh, in like in uh, eight mile, yeah, all this should happen. But here's the shit that happened to you. Right. It's like, oh, oh you're, you're self-aware. You've earned self-awareness. It's it's like a video game.
2: Yeah, that's
1: true.
0: Um, yeah. So, going back into the movie, a few a few other things before we get to some of our um, favorite scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Rashomon, um, a Akira Kurosawa um, film, inspired this film. Um, that's, that's, uh, Akira, you know, of course I would help inspire this. Um, the, the the production notes um, the film was completed in 12 days as I said earlier in the summer of 1985 with a budget of $175,000 the 12 day shooting schedule began with $18,000 from the New York State Council of the Arts a $10,000 grant from the Jerome Foundation $500 from the Brooklyn Arts and Cultural Associations um, assets from the Lee family and score from his dad um, still photos from his brother David an acting turn from Dwa, um, brothers Chad and Sink Acting as production assistants And cast working for deferred payments Um, It wasn't enough to get the movie through Post production so a rough cut um, Was seen uh, at NYU And the quote I am Spike Lee and I hope you like this film Spike Lee said afterwards I'll Be calling you to ask you to be financially Involved with helping (laughs) us complete it Um, And they they finally Raised the rest of that fund so out of that $175,000 They had less than 30 To get most of the the film done I don't even see how that's possible. Where there's a will, there is a way. It's true. Um, So let's see. Uh, So um, Quentin Tarantino's considered this as one of his influences for making Reservoir Dogs and uh, My Best Friend's Wedding, an unreleased film. Uh, Just the fact that it was such a low budget film. I'm sorry, my best friend's birthday now. I wedding. was about to
2: say, wait, her wedding? How is this? Yeah, no, that, that's, I mean, that's really great. Who could ever imagine that She's Got a Habit and Reservoir Dogs would be connected somehow?
0: <laughs> and some of, some of Spike Lee's criticism of Tarantino.
2: Well, you know what? They had. I mean, seriously, I believe that they have, they have a Steve Jobs, they have a Steve Jobs, um... Bill Gates mm-hmm. and Prince and Michael Jackson relationship, mm-hmm. where it's like you have one person who's just like, nah, blah, 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 and the other person, <laughs> the other person's like, this guy's great, I love this
0: guy, right? Like, <laughs> with, with with blood on it, whatever. Yeah, right. Uh, let's see, let's see what I have here. Anything else here of note? The movie opened making back pretty much its initial production budget. It, it opened at $28,000.
2: There was a huge groundswell of support for this movie. I remember that. Like, people were all doing the thing of just, like, you have to go see this. You have to make this movie successful. So there was a lot of that going on, at, at least where I was.
0: Well, well, obviously. Uh, let's see. Um, New York Times film critic, uh, I don't like his name, DJ R. Buckner, uh, Bruckner, um, wrote that in 1986, it, um, that the film is stripped of some of the distractions of this presentation their story has a touch of the classic these people are not victims or of blind forces they make decisions defend themselves grow in understanding not always happy as a result the story would be more enjoyable than a more polished film but it has the power that is not dissipated from this one's weakness and john simon of the uh, national review called it she's got to have it as a cutesy trivial fun sex car carousal that's a weird review um rotten tomatoes gives it a 91 one of his highest-rated films. Um, some documentaries are on there. I think this is right behind um, Malcolm X in terms of, you know, these people generating the reviews. Malcolm X and uh, Do the Right Thing, hmm. and um, Independent Spirit as well. Um, as I said before, Tracy was nominated. Spike won for um, Best First Feature.
2: Really, I didn't yeah. know that.
0: And uh, he was um, he, he let's see he won award of the Youth Foreign Film at Cannes in 1986.
2: I didn't know that either. I didn't know this film got any awards, so...
0: Yeah. And that, in, in terms of the, the scene you were describing, 2014, Spike Lee said he had one regret as a filmmaker. It was the rape scene and she's got to have it. Um, if I would have any do overs, uh, that would be it. I was just totally stupid. I was immature. I made light of rape. And that's one thing I would take back. I was immature and I hate that I did not view rape as the vile act that it is. I can promise you that there will be nothing like that. And she's got to have it. The series, the, uh, the TV show, that's for sure. There you go. There you have it. So the series um, got two seasons, um, 10 30-minute episodes um, were ordered um, in the first season. Then they got a second one. And Spike was the executive producer. Uh, It was canceled after two seasons in uh, July of 2019. So favorite scenes. Let's talk about favorite scenes real quick. Okay. Oh, no, actually, I want to talk about dogs.
2: Oh, when she's like, there are two types of men. There are good men and there are the dogs. In my
1: experiences, I found two types of men. The decent ones and the dogs. It seems that men are taught not to be in touch with themselves, with their true feelings, but the things that they do say. Weak.
0: And that's kind of, and that's one of the scenes actually that I have down here. Here's a here's an interesting tidbit mm-hmm. um, about the scenes. I mean, about the uh, dogs. So, <laughs> do you know um, certain people like that are like credited people? Because You would just think, oh, these are just random dudes, right? Some of these people we actually know. We actually know these people. I'm going to pull up the, the the group of dogs. So <laughs> there are 12 dogs that are credited. <laughs> 12 dogs. Three of them we know.
2: I feel like I do remember when I saw it recently, I do remember seeing like a couple of people that, you know, of course, I never know their name because... Um, That's your job. I don't remember anybody's, any actors' names, but I did see their faces and say, I know this person.
0: I'll say what their, what dog they're credited as and say to the actors. Okay. Reggie Hudlin, dog number four.
2: Okay, now which one is he? I don't know. (laughs) Does he have on sunglasses?
0: That's Fat Far Freddy. Okay. (laughs) Who was uh, dog number 10. I didn't even know they had numbers. This is great. And uh, Ernest Dickerson is dog number eight. Wow. (laughs) It's pre-dread Ernest Dickerson. Ernest Dickerson uh, so, so there you have it with, with the, the dogs I mean, that's one of the favorite scenes we'll have that in post um, another scene that I, I enjoy and I'll, let, I'll turn it over to you in a moment um, the, the just the Mars scene kind of those, one of the introductions
1: what about Nola Darling? what do you want to know I thought she was a freak you know freaky dicky you asked why I can to see her It looked like a retard I'm not crazy the sex was death. Nola had the goods, and she knew what to do. Look, all men want freaks. We just don't want them for a wife. I like yeah. Mars. It's just
0: yeah. because he, maybe because of the Jordan commercials. That's where i seen that character. Mm-hmm. I saw it in that, and it's on the back of the shoes. The Mars logo is on the back of the those Jordans. Ah,
2: uh, yes. So okay. it's just the
0: big Kazal glasses and the freaking flipped up bike hat and all of that <laughs> shit.
2: And I think, I mean, one of the things that I like so much about Mars as a character and his introduction is is great, is that, you know, he is the Brooklyn character.
0: And that's why I is like, OK, you're the you're you're the mascot right here. That's what's happening.
2: Yeah. And like you would have you would recognize that guy like he's a bike messenger or he's, you know, pizza delivery, you know, shout out to Do the right thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, but you definitely like I've seen this guy around.
0: So those are kind of like, there's a bunch of things. in Because I think because it's hard to view it as scenes because of, as we talked about earlier, it's kind of a play to me.
2: Yeah, it is.
0: Um, What do do you have in there some of your favorite scenes?
2: So I really like Nola's opening.
1: Let's set the bitch on fire. Your fucking days are over. Miss girl will never steal another man again
2: and that idea of her being in her bed and kind of just like coming out from under the covers and sitting up and and talking about and framing the story because she's Mm -hmm. framing her own story. You know, so talking about like Rashomon, like Rashomon is a film about points of view. Mm -hmm. And so it's important to establish whose movie this is. Mm -hmm. And so I think having her open it and say, okay, you all may have heard all kinds of things, but let me tell you the real deal. And I just think that that's a great setup and a really good introduction to the character. I also, Thanksgiving, I could watch that scene a million times. The idea that she would have the three of them over for Thanksgiving and just kind of force them to put up with it Mm -hmm. is great enough as a premise, but the way that it actually unfolds with them trying to outdo each other with saying how delicious the turkey is and, you know... Mars doing his thing of repeating everything and like annoying everybody to death Mm -hmm. and it's It's just like you knew that it was going to be funny but for me in terms of just like pure comedy definitely like one of the funnier scenes in the movie and then I would also say it's not exactly a scene but well there is a scene when they're together but I am totally ready for the movie or the series that is, like, Jamie and Mars' relationship. Because <laughs> they, like, bump into each other at some point And, like, mm-hmm. Jamie's sitting on the park bench having his confessional. And then Mars kind of comes along with his bike and interrupts it. Mm-hmm. And, you know you could see in the Thanksgiving scene that, he, that Mars definitely sees a distinction between Jamie and Greer. He see, because as he says, he's like, Greer's not down, meaning he's a sellout. He's yeah. an Oreo. He's not like us. So it's like he and Jamie, he, he at least sees as like, I can see what Nola sees in us, apart from, okay, what Greer looks like. But like, you know, he's a sellout. He's an asshole. And so he sees him and Jamie as being like, we can compete. For this woman, like, is mm-hmm. in terms of you know being being worthy of her. So when they bump into each other, well, before he leaves, he's like, "Yeah, man, so call me. You're gonna call me."
0: Yeah, because he call me because he does the thing of I think in, in in maybe when I think it's only them at the table, and he says like, look, "Look, I'll make a deal with you."
2: Yeah. You can have her for three days and or you can have her for four and I have her for three. Yeah,
0: but I get the weekends.
2: But I get the weekends. And you're like those those are super gross. It did, but you're like, also those are all the days. So I'm trying to understand. I guess you're saying you get Friday. You you get Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Like, yeah. I mean there's I don't know, there's just something that's really funny to me about that. You get
0: your work schedule and do your days. (laughs) About
2: it, it being like, yeah, and also me and Jamie are gonna hang out. Like I just think that's funny.
0: That's great. Um so if you don't have any more scenes, I want to get into what works and what doesn't work and okay. then we can wrap up. So I, I got, I think two things that really work for me. Um, one, we said it previously. I specifically the score works for me. Oh, it's beautiful. It's incredible. The Whole thing works. It's, it sets it up. Um, actually another thing works, but I'm gonna maybe leave that for you. If you don't get it, then I'll make sure I, I say it. I'm leaving that a softball for you.
2: Oh boy. No pressure.
0: You should get it. You're from there. <laughs> okay. Hint, hint, hint. <laughs> uh, The, the kind of pseudo documentary style works as well mm-hmm. of it, it's, it's black and white. And sometimes I like that debut film being a black and white film. Yeah, me too. Because it's just like, yeah, I, I want this to be viewed specifically in this way that this is a I think we use black and white. Sometimes it feels like it's a retelling. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, this is live. We're watching it live. It's like, no, this is a story, and I'm telling you how it happened and what happened. We're already past it.
2: Yeah, like a memory. Yeah. yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And so I think those those things really work, especially that that scene where um, I think it was like, uh, um, Clorinda comes in with the other chick. Yeah, let's set it on fire.
1: Yeah, <laughs> let's right.
2: It's like nightmare sequence. Yeah. yeah. I was like, Oh no.
0: And then he does the re- weird I'm four film. months
2: pregnant. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, what?
0: So what do you think works? And what do you think does, does not work in a movie? And I think we already hit on what doesn't work.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms, I mean, yeah, I can't talk about the, the score enough. Um, and I really, because it's, Jazz can be, you know, like really complicated and not necessarily background music, but here they really, you know, they create theme songs. Each character kind of has their own music. And so um, it, I think it also helps with that play aspect. Like, you know how in plays certain things are repeated so that you can remember them. I feel like the score helps like do that. And then um, I know that people say this and write this all the time in anything that is about a place, but you know, Brooklyn being its own character, you know, um, it's... There's something about it that, you know, makes even areas that you might not think about as attractive or beautiful or exciting, like downtown Brooklyn, which that downtown Brooklyn, of course, doesn't exist anymore at all. Right. So, you know, to see it again, there's like something really nostalgic, you know, again, a movie looking like a memory, like you said, you know, um, of, you know, why... People would want to live there, you know, and it being this like community of people, I feel like it really brought that out. And it has some great shots of like you know buildings in Brooklyn, of front steps, bridges, you know, those kinds of things.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think it really gets it over. And even without the vibrancy of color still being in black and white, it really gets it over. Like, oh, this is super black. People are just doing what they do.
2: Yes, and then you know, in terms of things at work, I mean, it's it's very funny. It really is. I mean. Mm-hmm. All of Greer's lines are 100%. The things that he says, and you know, I even surprised myself with things that like I still laughed at, like after all these years when he's talking about like how Nola dresses, which, A, there's nothing wrong with how she Mm -hmm. dresses, but he's just like, when I've met her. You can just imagine what her fashion was like—typical Brooklyn tacky—and <laughs> just it so, also it it sounds to me like he's saying typical Brooklyn tacky. But just to let everybody know, my closed captioning said typical Brooklyn tackhead. I'm like I don't even know what that means, but yeah, like I just Greer really—he is the perfect mouthpiece for a kind of person like that. Who
0: oh, tackhead is coarse, unrefined, tacky person. That's the root word of tacky.
2: I had no idea.
0: Yo, nice. I
2: always heard it as like tacky and then it's like tack head, which is even better. But he's just the mouthpiece of all of those things about, you know, when you don't really know someone Mm -hmm. that you're dating and you're just like, we're in love. It's like, you don't even know this person.
0: Right. It's apparently it's a term that came out in the 80s. How how do
2: I not know this? And it
0: originated from New York City in the industrial hip hop scene.
2: Well, I missed that. Or maybe I just forgot about it.
0: This this is great.
2: Techhead, did I miss that? I have to do some research now. This, is, gotta, this is great. I have to text some of my friends now.
0: <laughs> it has it has something to do with the Sugar Hill Gang.
2: <laughs> the Sugar Hill Gang. You're like,
0: hold on, what's this other episode that we're gonna do? Typical Brooklyn tech hit. The etymology of Techhead. Yeah, that's great. So, um, I think that's most of what we had. Any um, final thoughts on the movie, and any final words, and all of that good stuff.
2: I think in terms of its, its relevance is, you know, it does so much more in 1986 of for these ideas about um, everything from Me Too, which, you know, Me Too is the name that we give to really like a much bigger idea, which is really like a renegotiation of like the relationships and intimacy between men and women in a heteronormative paradigm. You know it it does a lot of that work a lot better than the things that we try to hold up as being that like if you want to know like what autonomy or what we now call agency um and independence and sexual freedom and progressiveness looks like it's in this movie yeah and you know what it doesn't do makes such a big deal about itself
0: yeah I I think that's the key thing, and I'll be a heel about it because you're more refined and better at it than me. Uh, Watch the movie, don't watch the series. Uh, So there you go. Uh, I I didn't say that. I I did. This is Rob Lee uh, saying it all. Um, I didn't disagree, though. Yeah, appreciate you. See, joint, joint, joint front here. She's, she's the the PR version. I'm just the the fucking terrible man at the top.
2: I'm in the PR department. I'm sitting on the edge of the desk in my skirt, my pencil skirt, being like, now you know you can't say that.
0: Well, uh, clean it up for me, please. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, thank you again for coming on to the podcast. Always. Um, so this was our review of uh, She's Got a Habit 35th Anniversary, uh, Happy Birthday Spike Lee, and Happy Birthday Coo. Thank you. So uh, yeah, bye. Uh, tune in next week. Um, somebody else will be on
2: Girl face out.